I mean, how many more episodes until we have to be good? Uh, three, not enough. Three. That is, yeah, that's. Can we bump that back? What is our window for bumping that back? <laughs> Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we give you the tools to repair your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial <laughs> independence. Why are you laughing already? I started Just, it. Yeah, <laughs> it's entirely as well. Uh, welcome, <laughs> listeners. Uh, Money Mechanic here on the mic with you tonight, and my good friends are also with me. I am the accountant. And the economist. Welcome back into the garage. Tonight, we are going to uh, investigate a little bit about our asset allocations. Yeah. First, we should note that there's a inanimate object that's missing from the garage. Let's not. I have to write. <laughs> I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> I'm going to write a post about that, so I don't want to ruin it yet. All right. Let's keep it fine. as a surprise for now. Okay. So, uh, first off, let's crack into our beverage. Uh, the Economist was on a little trip here and he's brought us something exotic yeah we have today the pacific ipa from santa cruz mountain brewing that is a long paragraph that you're going to read on that yeah i love it the, the blurb here it's actually big font type uh located close to the ocean santa cruz mountain brewing folks spend every day hearing smelling seeing and being part of the sea the power and beauty of our pacific ocean challenges us to brew the best IPA we can. Not only is it a stunning place to live, it's also a place that needs to be protected. It is a national marine sanctuary. That's why we brew in a way that honors and protects our natural resources. Pacific Organic IPA is a copper-colored, rich-bodied, lupulin-rich beer brewed with organic malts and organic hops, a West Coast-style India Pale Brewed and certified organic so you can drink good beer and feel good about it. What was that word halfway in there? Like upalin or something? Yeah, it took a lot for me to not start laughing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was going to ask about that That's, actually. Let me see that. It's, uh, it says lupulin. I like how you yeah. immediately pass the can to the mechanic because well, clearly the he, accountant can't read. He's the beer expert. <laughs> I don't even know. I can't even find it. Where is that? Google. Google, please tell me what lupulin is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we don't know the answer to that. Uh, one, not right? yet. We will endeavor to find out. So I uh, guess it's in the it's, show notes. It's pretty bitter. It yeah. is pretty bitter. It doesn't have a huge uh, kind of like aroma hop nose. It's strong. Oh, it is quite strong, yeah. Yeah, 7.7. 7. Mm. I'm glad we're just sharing a couple here. Yeah. No, that's enough for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, you're still a little worse from where? Uh, you know, it was the first night of the curling club last night. So, uh, yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. So I have a question for you guys. Do you remember when Canadian beer was stronger than American beer? Yes. That was all the rage. Yeah. Do you know the myth behind it? Well, it was how no. it was measured, wasn't it? Yeah. It was measured by it was volume as opposed weight. to weight. Yeah. So, so now the states have switched to our own or to volume as well. Oh, okay. So, so it's pretty it's much comparable on par now. now. Yeah. And as you can tell by this one, American beers are. Or can be just as strong. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> yes, and there's some. There's a ton of fantastic oh, yeah. beers in the states now. Absolutely. No more will you ever hear me say crappy American beer. Uh, right. uh, there is still crappy American beer, but there's also crappy Canadian Absolutely. beer. So Absolutely. Let's be fair. Yeah. But, you mean yeah. you don't like Bush and Bush Light? <laughs> <laughs> and well, they have a place, right? Like PBR, they have yeah. a place, right? Yeah. True. You know, True. if you're watching NASCAR, you go with the flow. <laughs> have a hot pocket and a PBR, and you're good. We didn't yeah. cheers, and cheers. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. So. Uh, well, you should get into that. 
It's oh, good. look at this. I'm even drinking from a uh, California glass. Wow. Wow. I mean, we've collected that... glasses everywhere we go. So this is Great White from Lost Coast Brewery in Eureka, California. So not there you far go. from there. Yeah. There you go. You got Rogue, which is also California. Nice. I didn't even plan that. You get a no-name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't even get it. got a no-name I got glass. nothing. <laughs> All right, let's get back into the uh, the theme of the show here. We're going to talk about allocation in just a few minutes, but uh, I've renamed the initial section of the show. This is the, this is now the useful tool. And why did you because do that? We, because we opened the toolbox to give you the tools for financial. It's right in our byline. It's right in there. I don't know what we were doing. And because we and, and because we need to change and, at least one thing every episode hey, about the show. When we hit twenty, we'll be finalized. It'll be that's done. right. Three more episodes. So uh, that's a lot of pressure. Okay. Today's useful tool, useful financial tool. <laughs> this one's an interesting one. It's called the Money Ready app. So it'll be in the show notes, but if you're uh, if you're sitting at a computer, it's moneyreadyapp.ca, all one word to look up. I kind of stumbled across this one. I was, you know, doing a little bit of research for the show. Right. And there's not a lot of literature on this at all. Now it's been custom made by a, oh, I had that, I read about it before, but it's been custom made by uh, a, a CPA, I might get that wrong, CPA in Canada. And I'm just going to read a little blurb here is, who is this for before I kind of get into describing it, right? Sure. It says, this is for individuals and families to develop and optimize their own financial plans, test them, and stay nimble to changes in their life circumstances, market conditions, and tax situations. Hmm. It is for do-it-yourself investors and people who want to learn and be involved in their own financial planning. So I, I read about it and I thought, well, that's us. That's right. the FI community. Absolutely. That's mustaches. This this is a really powerful tool. So I I went through it, right? I had to, uh, I was too curious at this point. I had to make my own uh, account. So it's free to try. Right. Okay. And they've got a software. Hello, the dogs are here. Uh, <laughs> they've got software built into it that runs a quote unquote time machine which spits out your financial plan looking ahead into the future depending on what dates you set oh, right but this is very very detailed okay so you get to run it three times free and then they do have a subscription after that but okay is that just for the time machine portion yes or the whole app no just for the time machine portion the the app itself when you go into it and this is it's not a super flashy app like you see sometimes now it's it's i don't know how long this has been around to be perfectly honest with you because there wasn't a lot of information but you go into it and it asks you to enter all of your information right like it gets right into every investment account you have it gets right down to the individual investments if you have etfs and it recognizes the symbols sure or if you have individual equities and it's really really detailed i i struggle with some of it but they do have good help settings for each page uh, it talks about your real estate, talks about any loans you have. It asks you about life insurance. Uh, it wants all your expenses, any automatic savings or withdrawals that you have. Um, it also, a nice thing too, is it also takes into account CPP and OAS. Cool. So one, one thing I did find with this is it's, it's a little more difficult to tweak for early retirement, right? Because okay. it uses the assumptions that we're going to retire at, at 65. 65. Right. So I put in 55 just as a number to challenge it type yeah. thing. And I didn't set up some priorities, withdrawal priorities properly. So it started sucking out of accounts I didn't want it to when I ran the time machine. 
for my time period. Yeah. Gotcha. So it, it is a very complicated tool, but it's a super useful and very interesting tool. I think it's, you know, I've never worked with a financial planner, mm-hmm. but this is exactly what they would do. Yeah. You know, their propriety software would spit out a very similar result to this. And right. If you go in there and have a look at it and put some of your information in, it does, uh, has a whole bunch of charts and graphs. It uses all the information you put in, obviously, to make some assumptions yeah. to run the calculations. Right. Uh, it's the most detailed program I've ever seen online, specifically how, for Canadians. How many time machines did you use? I've used one. Right. And because of the results that I got, I figured, oh, I better make some adjustments here because, yeah. you know, it's so it's so time-consuming, or it was for me, to well, put in each individual equity because I own a bunch of stocks. Yeah, it was, right? that was my next question. How how long was your rabbit hole into it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like two nights of watching The Office on the couch of inputting numbers. So, okay. But what I did for myself, just because it was a lot easier, is I took my TFSA account mm-hmm. yeah. and I used a lump sum, right? Because I've got some dividend paying stocks in there. I said non-dividend. So I took a, the, the sum total of the account. Yeah. yeah. I used the book value of the total of the account and I used an average of what my dividend return is. And I, you have to make an assumption about market return, of course. Right. Yeah. So I shot with basically 6% for all yeah. the investment accounts just to give it a even ballpark across all of it, right. which I think is fairly reasonable yeah. long-term. So it, it made it a lot quicker for me just to plug in those big numbers because I wanted to be able to run the time machine before the show. Sure. And the results of the time machine, once you put everything in, is it, it comes out with a year-by-year summary of what your earnings would be, what your expenses are projected to be. Yeah. And it's going to show each account and what it's going to withdraw from each one of those accounts to service your, that, your that expenses. expenses. Right. Right. And it's going to spit out, like I put in a, a death of 90. So it ran calculations all the way to that. So you can see where you run out of money with your current state of affairs. Right. Right. So yeah, I found it really, really interesting. Uh, have a look at it. You guys haven't had a chance to play with it yet either, have you? No. I just briefly glanced at it, but I didn't have a chance to sign up or actually put in information or anything. Yeah. it's uh, it, Now this one's, a lot of people are kind of hesitant to link to any bank accounts and things like that. Right. I, I use Wealthica for tracking as well, which I love, but we'll plug that on a different show. Um, this one doesn't link to anything. It relies, on you, relies on you to yeah, put manually it Manually putting in all your Which I can understand seeing people being a lot Happy more comfortable with yeah. that. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't necessarily It's a lot more want, work. Yeah. It's a lot more work, but at the same time, if you're not necessarily comfortable with yeah. mm-hmm. linking all that stuff. Exactly. So I think it's just one of those, it's just a well, it's a really fascinating tool to use because it takes into a lot more, a lot more calculations than some of the FI calculators that we've looked at, which are basically right. just net worth or your, yeah, you know, your, your total, your, your expenses. And we, you know, we've talked at length about 4%, 25 times, yeah. blah, blah, blah. That's just too basic. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to drill down and make your own financial plan, this is the tool to That's use. That's pretty yeah. cool. It does sound pretty great yeah. for that scenario. I'd like to really spend some more time with it. We're going to be sitting on a plane here. I'm going to be sitting on a plane here shortly. So that sounds like a good place to sit there and crunch some numbers in. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to be stuck on that plane too. Yeah. So uh, that's your useful tool uh, for this episode. Again, it is Money Ready App. You'll find it in the show notes. Uh, It is all Canadian, made by Canadians. And uh, yeah, hopefully you'll find it useful and interesting. Yeah, that's a good one. Moving on. It's funny, we're drinking American beer, but this is going to be a pretty Canadian-centric episode. <laughs> it's going to be a very Canadian-centric <laughs> well, episode. yeah, I mean, yeah. no, we're going to talk about some U.S. equities and Yeah, but if from assets, a Canadian's point of view. Yeah, well, yeah. that's our show. We're oh, Canadians. I know, I know. Yeah, it's I get just, that. Oh, uh, going to drop a bomb here. 
Oh yeah. Uh oh. We're booked. FinCon 2020, oh, yeah. boys. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll so. get some more U.S. or California beer <laughs> yeah, about the right. same time next year. Yeah. yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, it's going to be a long year to wait, but uh, we're going, so that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, not that our listeners really care or not. No. No. <laughs> no. They do not. Just think of all the things we're going to learn from other money nerds that we'll be uh, able to pass along. That's right. Yeah. Like, it's self improvement, really. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's a little overreaching to assume that people can learn anything from us, but you know. <laughs> oh, easy. <laughs> this is the uh, second most informative FI podcast in Canada. <laughs> I'm assuming there's only one other. Well, I don't know. I mean, anyway, moving on. It's top two. Anyway. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, top five. Go. We're top five. Yeah. Perfect. Shooting for number one. Okay. So we want to talk about asset location, allocation. Allocation. Okay, well, location and allocation are similar, but a little bit different. They are similar, but different. Right. How do you want to attack this? Uh, I mean, I would like to attack it on the allocation first and discuss the <laughs> the basic allocation that a lot of people I see asking questions about on the bond to equities percentage allocation within their portfolio. Right. That's a pretty good broad place to start, probably. Yeah. yeah. Sure. I mean- Gets a little more intricate from there. Now, and we decided to ignore other investments for this episode. Right? Yeah, we're no. not taking into account real, alternative investments, real, real estate. estate. We're talking about why not equities and bonds. Well, the topics. Okay. Well, I I want to include uh, real estate income trusts. Oh, REITs, absolutely. Yeah. We're talking about. Okay, we're talking about paper assets. Paper yeah. assets. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I mean. What's your percentage allocation of bonds to equities? <laughs> so now I have to um, admit my own dysfunction now on air. I admitted right. to you before. <laughs> yeah. My portfolio is not ideal at the moment. I it, Mine is not either. So, I'm, I'm the first to admit that. Yeah. So I've, I've had this problem with it's too spread out. I've got too many things going on. It's too complicated. Mm -hmm. right? right. And I think some of our listeners can probably relate to that because yeah. what happens is you start, you know, once you start uh, saving and investing and before I was really educated, I was picking up things along the way. Right. Yeah. And now you still have them. You have like these I legacy yep. equities and ETFs and it's like, why, what, that, what's that doing over there? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so yeah. to speak to your specific question about my bond to equity allocation, I own Vigro. Yep. And I also had a well simple account that so those are both what was uh Vigro's 20% isn't it? I believe Vigro is somewhere yeah, around 20%. Yeah, and bonds. the well simple one, the most aggressive I could get was 10%. Right. Bond. 90% equity. Yeah. I hold the co-power green bond separately. Right. Right. And I don't hold so I guess that's gonna make my total you know, I'm gonna have to spitball this yeah. here, right? But it's gonna be 10% or less. Right. Right. In bonds. And what's your goal? Well that's a good question. This is part of what the discussion here tonight yeah. is, is what is the goal and what should it be? I mean, right. I think I'm going to work towards a little bit more fixed incomes, but I want to use preferred shares. Yeah. Okay. So, we'll, we don't have to go into a deep dive on what preferred shares are, but we'll kind of cover it. Yeah. I'm going to be moving a little bit more towards that as I get closer to my fine number. Yeah. And I, th right? I think that's an important- That's the discussion. People right? always talk the bond allocation and stuff like that, and I'm 30. I have zero bonds. Mm -hmm. I have zero fixed income. I have time. Time is on my side. I want to get the growth. I don't need a 3% bond and I'm fine with volatility. And I know that about myself. Right. 
And well, that's, that's what it all boils down to. Yeah, that's absolutely. Your risk profile. Again, that's the first thing, you know, when they when you go to a wherever they're going to ask you to get to know the customer thing, and it's right. going to be what's your risk tolerance. Yeah, yeah. So we're not going to go into that because if you're listening, you may or may not have already done that, but you have to do that first. Yeah. So your risk tolerance is high. I agree that even though I'm older than you, mine is high. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think I would generalize that. Funny, we said the community at large is too conservative, but when it right. comes to risk, I think we're okay with accepting a little bit higher in equities. Right, but really equity, the ETF instrument is not risky as much as volatile. Yes. Right, right. We, you're, you're, yeah, you're yeah. diversifying away your risk by having an index. Right, right. But it's still volatile. It's still volatile with markets. Right. Now, the only question I have about that with not having any bonds is, the idea is so that you can rebalance your portfolio, right? You can move from one asset class to the other, right? And you want asset classes that don't are are not interdependent, right? So if you don't hold any bonds, you don't have anywhere to move back into the market with, right? Like I, that's the whole point of it, right? Is like say the traditional sixty forty, yeah. When equities are super high, uh, you're going to move some into bonds when they're really low. And that keeps you in balance. So, I, I have something to say on that. I was thinking along the same lines as you when I was, I don't know, a few months ago. Um, and I actually did a free consultation with a financial planner. Mm. And that was one of my questions. Oh, yeah. And he said, well, I wouldn't hold bonds just so you could rebalance. That was his advice. Okay. Now, I also... What's the... Just what's the reasoning for that? Well, that was his professional advice. Um, he didn't give me reasoning. I did. <laughs> I, I wasn't satisfied with that much like you guys are <laughs> by the look of your faces. Yeah. Like, so, <laughs> I did some, I ran some numbers with total return of the TSX and found that in my models, I didn't do any better when I held bonds to rebalance. So, his advice and, held up in, well, my, in my runs. And my thought on that thing is that if I was retired and I'm not bringing in any income, sure, I'd like some bonds for some consistent interest payments and maybe some rebalancing advantage, but I'm still adding to my investments. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the, if the, the market tanks, I'm still buying more shares at a yeah. cheaper valuation. The other thing is you hold a lot of dividend paying stocks. I hold so do you really need interest paying bonds? Well, that's yeah, an interesting absolutely. one too, right? Yeah. As I'm yeah. Everything I own is a dividend-paying stock or an index fund. Yeah. So, yeah. and the the bond return for the last ten years is abysmal, right? You're not really right. earning much on it, right? If you're in if, if you're in large government safe safe bonds, right? But and I think that's an important thing to point out is that these things change. Like if our economic environment changes and suddenly bonds are yielding eight percent, yeah, I'm gonna go get me some bonds, right? Yeah, yeah, but. In today's market, they're just, I don't see any place for them in my portfolio. I, I don't hold any bonds either. And that was largely based on the fact that I couldn't see an advantage to hold them to rebalance. Right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, mine's mine's baked into the Vigo right. fund and it's baked into the well simple. So it's not like I'm actively holding a bond ETF. Yeah. I do hold a TDE series bond fund. Right. I, it was just when I first started it's off. a leftover? Yeah, well, it's one of those yeah. legacies, right? <laughs> like, this go. is the problem is I've got these TDE series funds that I still have, yeah. which I'm slowly moving out of because I would like to get into the RSP and investing right. that we talked about. So, but yeah, I've had a, a bond fund in there for quite a while because when I first started, you look at the TDE series funds and you say, okay, 
I'm going to get a, a US one. I'm going to get a Canadian one. I get an emerging market, an international and bond. Yeah. And bang, that's your five fun portfolio. Right. Like that's, yeah. yeah, that's what you do. So I had the, I had the allocation there fairly small and it was good at monthly, it monthly dripped. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, again, it's just a legacy one there. Do I need it? I don't know. It was basically in the red for years and years and years. Until right. Just recently it. It came back above interesting above par. So, yeah, I I agree with you. I'm not at the point where I need to have that income, and I also do the dividend investing. So, and do you want to touch on preferred shares or? Yeah, I mean, preferred shares are essentially you're receiving a dividend from a preferred share, but it essentially acts as an interest payment. Right. They're preferred shares they're that are issued. issued. Yeah, they're not a they're not a uh, typical traded on the floor. No, not sure. traded. Yeah, they're they're issued. They generally have a face value of twenty five bucks, yeah. and an interest rate will be set off of that face value. And now they will trade up and down from twenty five bucks, obviously. Yeah, but they um, won't move with the company's earnings and things like they that. They don't move with the company's yeah. earnings, and they're generally cumulative on the dividends. So that means they have to pay you first That's before right. common shareholders get paid. Right, and. There's a bunch of other things that go along with it, but it's it's essentially a form of fixed income that's going to pay you a higher rate than a bond. And right. so I guess I shouldn't like, I don't hold any bonds. I do hold some preferred shares. Okay. And that's fair. Right. And the other thing you just mentioned, you're thinking of getting into RSP loaning. Right. So that's a fixed income. That's a fixed income as well. Right. right. I mean, I'm creating my own bond. Yes. In a sense. You're just a little higher risk so than a government you, of Canada bond. Have yeah. you considered a, a, how much of your portfolio you're going to- throw that way yeah well because the value of that of doing the rsp lending it yeah. needs to be in the neighborhood of you know forty thousand dollars to make a loan by the time it's all said and done and we get to that you know you're gonna be talking about probably you know 20 percent of the portfolio mm-hmm. so it's still in that that range of yeah of 60 to well, yeah 80 percent equities okay let's put it this way I wouldn't move everything into that mm-hmm. and have have sixty percent of my portfolio in it. I I definitely want to keep it under the twenty. Yeah, right. right. The goal is under twenty. The goal is under twenty. Yeah. 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 Now, I think something else that we should address is as Canadians, a lot of us are very home biased exactly. towards Canadian equities, yeah. and this is something. In preparing for talking about this tonight, yeah. I'll be the first person to admit I did the calculations from all of my holdings right now, and I'm like 84% Canadian. Wow. That's it's, overexposed. It, yeah. This is – Canada represents – well, it's been quoted as like 4% of the global market. Yeah. No, you it's – have – yeah. It's a huge problem. And again, I have all these legacy things that I picked up over time and I didn't think about it because I've been making my buys based off what I want my allocation to be. But I already had so many Canadian equities sitting there. That like I need to start buying U.S. and international to offset how right. heavily weighted it already was. Right. Yeah. So I think I, I'm the same way, and you yeah, probably are. I, I am too. Yeah, yeah. Because of course, when you start with see, it's the interesting thing when you first start off. Yeah. Well, I started with buying some dividend stocks. Right. 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 And and some TDE series, but it wasn't until more recently that I was educated in FI that yeah. I have now the Vanguard ETFs. Yes. Yeah. So, I think maybe we should just discuss what to do next. Because I think after you've got yourself a bunch of Canadian <laughs> stocks. After you've got yourself in this after position. After you've screwed it all yeah. up. Yeah. Well, I think what's going to happen for a lot of people on their journey to FI is they're going to get to the point where they realize that, you know, their TFSA is full. Right. Their RSP is close or maxed. 
Yep. You're going to have to start considering non-registered accounts. Mm-hmm. What do you do with all that stuff that's sitting those, in those other accounts? And, and how do you move your asset location as well as your allocation to make sure it all gels with your overall plan? Right. Yeah. That's a great point. And I believe you can direct your broker to move some of your holdings from your registered to a non-registered account. Mm. Uh, you may pay tax penalties in RRSPs. Yeah. But certainly you could do that with a TFSA. Why would you? Right. But why then you're would you want to tax shelter account? Yeah. Why would you want to move that cash? You just want to. So for the TFSA, you get the room back the next. Yeah. The, eh. the next year. So if you yeah. were to do it in December, say, say you had a bunch of Canadian dividend paying stocks in your TFSA. You can just sell them. You don't need to move them. That's fair. Yeah, you could sell and rebuy. Sell and rebuy, yeah. I mean, and that, that's, where, that's where I feel like the asset location, like when you're first starting out, tax shelter everything. Right. Yes, And absolutely. the asset location, and we should say when we're talking about asset location, we mean if it's held in your RRSP, your TFSA, or just a regular taxable account. There's different strategies, obviously, on what the most tax efficient structure for that is. Up until you max out those accounts, put everything in those accounts. Absolutely. And then when you start having to have non-registered accounts, then start playing with your allocation on where it should be. Yeah. Your location. Yeah. With your location. Yeah. Because you don't, you know, yeah, I would prefer to have my Canadian dividend paying stocks paying dividends in my non-registered account because I get the dividend tax credit. But if you still have room in your TFSA, there's no point in paying tax on those dividends, even though you get the dividend tax credit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So until your non or until your registered accounts are full, everything goes in your registered account. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. No, yeah, and we have talked a little bit about this before. You know, when we had our listener write in about having full RSPs yeah. and TSA. Yeah. So, but it's a good topic because I think we're all going to run into it, and we're all going to uh, show up with the problems from different angles. Right. You know, I have a U.S. non-registered account. Yeah. Well, why am I holding equities in the U.S. non-registered when I got room to move them into my RSP? Mm-hmm. Right. That seems silly. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, I had U.S. cash that I didn't want in my RSP. Right. Right. Now, that's one thing you can probably do is transfer those from your non-registered account to your registered account, and you'll yes. get the contribution. Yes. Yeah. You can do. Um, they call it a transfer in kind. Yeah. Yeah. So if you hold a hold an ETF or an equity in one account, you can have it moved into a Right. To another account. Well, no tax. Well, uh, you, there would be a tax consequence on that, though. It would look as if you sold them in your registered account. In your non-registered. Sorry, in your non-registered. Yeah. Right. It looks like you, even though you don't, there's no transaction. Right. It you will be taxed on the on capital, your capital gains. gains. Yeah. To move them into right. your registered. So this, that and that makes this whole shuffle of your holdings yeah. challenging and something Absolutely. you really need to think about. And maybe make sure you're only going to do it once. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't want to go like, oh, darn. Now I got that holding that ETF over there. Yeah. But I actually wanted it over there. So, and and, I mean, it gets more challenging. I found it challenging is because I hold TD Direct Investing, Quest Trade. Right. Multiple brokers. And Well Simple. Yeah. Which I just pulled all my money out today, to be honest with you. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My one year free was up. Ah, uh, right. yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. It's like, ah, right. not paying, uh, not paying fields. No. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, fair enough. What What's your international, your equity um, target So as far as international, Canadian, US? What I've decided I would like mine to be is 
20 or 40% Canadian, 40% US, 20% international. Now you're 84% Canadian right now. Yeah. So how do you propose to achieve that? Are you going to do it by adding new money or are you going to do it by I'm going making to some sales? Add new money. So it's going to be a slow, gradual process. Slow, to gradual get there. process to get me there. Are you yeah. Are you going to go cold turkey on Canadian? No. Yeah, I don't think he can. No, <laughs> I can't go cold turkey. If he no. sees BNS below seventy, exactly. and BNS is trigger finger. That's a lot of my problem. Is I've just been dumping money into things that were cheap. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. And I should actually say it's more like thirty-five Canadian, forty U.S., twenty international, and five percent play money. Right. Okay. I'm generally playing in Canadian stocks, so it kind of counts towards my Canadian allocation. You know, I'm just logging into Questrade here and, and asking me for the name of my first pet. Do you consider your hamster your first pet? I did. I never had a hamster. <laughs> oh, right. I did, but you know, it's like <laughs> I hope on air think, he I gives think, away his yeah. freaking secret answer question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, I wanted to just have a look in my holdings here so we can discuss. Uh, get away from the individual equities because most people are are doing index investing. So I was just going to give an example of how I'm trying to manage my asset allocation within my Questrade account, sure. which is where I hold my Vanguard your, your ETFs. ETFs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I've got the S&P 500. I've got the US total market. Yeah. I've got the Canadian all cap. Yeah. All cap. This is basically my international. It's the all cap excludes North America. Yes. Okay. So these are, in, and sorry, also the emerging markets. Right. So we'll put the tickers in the show notes, but it's important when you look at all the f- different funds, and I'm not necessarily advocating just for Vanguard because there's other good indexes out there, um, but it's important that you read what's included and what's not included. You know, I didn't want an international um, fund that also had North American stocks in it. Of co- yeah. Right. Right. So just be careful because some of them do. Some of them do, for and sure. You, you think you're diversifying globally and you're not. I, I have that. Okay. I hold that. But I plan f- You plan for, for it. it. And that's fine. Yeah. Because you can go back to the, the couch potato portfolio of just three funds. Right. And keep it really easy. Or, or even better, Vigro. Yeah, yeah. One fund. Or well, VEQT, whatever you want. Right? I mean, in my TD, the E-Series, that's what I do with the E-Series funds is I own the Canadian index, the North American, or the US index, and the all-world X North America. Right. Right. And that's my three fund portfolio that sits in my RRSP and TD. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is my Questrade RRSP account yeah. that I fund monthly. Right. Okay. And I like the way, you know, when, if you're not familiar with Questrade, it takes a little while to get your page set up. So it, it looks nicely the way you want to look at it. But I like how they show, and most of the brokers will show this, the percent of portfolio. Right. Okay. For all the holdings right there. Yeah. So yeah, this also holds my Copower Green Bond, sure. which is showing a 10% allocation, which so, is perfect. Yeah. Right. Apart from Vigro, but Vigro is 13%. Okay. So that's okay because that's, you know, we're going to knock that back. So I'm under yeah. 15% bonds. Sure. Yeah. And then right now, the rest of them um, kind of range between 10 and 16%. Right. So what I need to do is set some targets for myself. Yeah. Okay. Which I haven't done. Because what I've been doing is when my monthly contribution goes in, I open up my quest trade and I have a look at the underperformers. Right. 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 So I'm buying the weakest ones. Yeah. At, yeah. At, at the lowest. So it really screws with your portfolio percentage. Yeah. I've been doing the same thing. So unless you're willing to sell some S&P 500 because I'm up 10% on it, 
and buy some emerging markets because I'm down 0.28%. Now you're looking at trading fees though. Yeah, exactly. So for me, I think hopefully, ultimately, the allocation between the countries or between the regions will work out. Right. Right? Yeah. So do you think I'm doing the right thing by going in and buying the discounted stocks or should I should I specifically be going for my percent allocation? That's a tough question. Yeah. I mean, I think both strategies have merit. And this is where we talked about investor psychology. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. At least I'm buying. Yeah. I'm not At leaving least. anything on the table. Yeah. I'm buying in every month regardless. And sometimes I feel too like the allocation is a lot more important the closer you get to retirement. Because the so allocation too. is all about leveling out that volatility, right? right? Like we've had years of unbelievable stock market returns in Canada and the US. Well, the US. The well, US Canada, mostly. But, yeah. Well, Canadian yeah. Yeah. banks. Yeah. And then you look and the rest of the world hasn't done all that much, but that generally means that maybe things will flip, right? Yeah. Like when things underperform for a while, they're generally ready to start outperforming. And when things have overperformed for a long time, it can only continue for so long. Yeah. Yeah. So I go the other way. I, with my ETF buying, I'm strict in trying to maintain uh, an allocation of uh, 55 US, 15 international, and 30 Canadian. Now, where'd you get those numbers from? Uh, You'll find lots of information online of suggestions. There's a ton of suggestions. There's a ton of suggestions, but, you know, I mean, use some common sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Eighty-four percent Canadians probably not the best. That's not a good idea. But, but I'm not. I'm not that far do behind as, you. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. I'm not that far behind you. I'm probably like sixty percent Canadian. Yeah. So. And I mean, even at thirty percent Canadian for my ETFs, when I max out my registered accounts, I'm going to be buying Canadian dividend-paying stock. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I could even be lower on the Canadian side right now. I think. Yeah. This is the interesting thing too right because you know the accountant and i the mechanic we have a bit of a dividend strategy i don't know if yeah. you're planning on similar as well but you're going to end up holding a lot of canadian right well Absolutely. and that's why i have so much yeah. canadian because yeah. i have exactly. canadian dividend paying stocks yeah. i and you know i love the goal i have of reaching you know my fifteen thousand a year dividend stream of income yeah you right know? but it does leave you canadian biased yeah so i don't even know why i hold vcn apart from the fact that I do want diversification within Canada because it doesn't do me any good to just hold telecoms, bank stocks, railroads, and utilities. Well, and I've actually stopped purchasing any Canadian indexes because I hold a portfolio of Canadian index funds or Canadian dividend-paying stocks. Right, right. So I It's probably not a bad idea. I, I index my international and my U.S. I own no single international or U.S. companies on their own. And right. then I own Canadian dividend stocks. Now, here's a question for you. Yeah. I do own some U.S. equities by themselves. Mm-hmm. Should I and move them into the indexes rather than – because I don't really have any intention of buying a whole bunch more individual equities. Right. So, for example, I own Starbucks, Coke uh, – Annaly and there's a couple other smaller ones there. It doesn't represent a huge are they dividend pay? Some of them are. So that has some value. That has some value. But I could also get rid of them from a risk point of view, mm-hmm. move all those funds into the US index. Right. And and make my portfolio simpler. 
and not have to be concerned with future returns from one company, right. performance of one company. Yeah. So a tough question, right? A lot of people are going to have these questions is what's the right answer to that? Yeah. Well, I, and I mean, I think that depends on the amount of time you want to put in because you're going to ha- still have to keep an eye on those companies. If you own an individual company, you should be keeping an eye on what that company is doing. Well, that's part of my problem too. Do you go through your portfolio and check them all all the time? I used to, but I really don't anymore. Yeah. And I mean, that's the beauty of index funds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So getting back to allocation and location. Sure. The examples I gave with my Questrade account here, um, I definitely need to work on that. Yeah. Should we talk about a little bit about the difference between registered and non-registered again? Should we kind of hit that up with allocation? Or we- um, Do you think everybody's think got that figured that. out? I don't know if everybody's got that figured out, though. I mean, the there's a great article we'll link to in the show, no- show notes from Mark Seed, and it's it's actually a really old article, but it says it's about asset location, not allocation. And he's talking about you want to hold U.S. dividend stocks in your RRSP because you don't have the 15% withholding tax. You want to have... Canadian dividend paying right. socks in your non-registered account because you get the dividend tax credit. It's you a good article put, and it's nice and short. It's it nice is. and short. You yeah. want to put your REITs and things like that in your TFSA because they're taxed at your highest marginal tax rate and then they can be sheltered in there. It's a great read and I think anybody still wondering about where to put what investment, take a look at it. Mark's done a great job of it. Yeah, I think it's it's nice, short and sweet. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, REITs, we should just touch on. I don't know if a lot of people hold those yet. You know, that's another asset class that yeah, fits right. within the property spectrum. Yeah. So just because you don't own revenue generating property, you can own revenue re- generating re- property. Re- re- yeah. Well, <laughs> a paper asset, yeah. which is a real estate investment trust. Just, that's what REITs based stands on for. or that owns. Yeah. Yeah. And they're usually, they pay the majority of their earnings out as dividends. So they're high yielding. High yielding generally monthly payments they're not necessarily dividends though right no that's they can be uh distributions or distribute other income return capital, capital. it can be whatever yeah. they send your way don't hold it in your non-registered account right you want your basic you want they REITs pay, sitting in a tfs yeah because they pay out uh return on capital distributions like it's complicated I'm kind of trying to stay away from doing a whole show on taxes, but you know, whenever you <laughs> yeah. say adjusted cost base, people kind of freak out a little bit. Sure. Cause it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. It is a pain in the <laughs> and ass. And especially a pain in the ass if you start getting distribution and return of capital and things like that yeah. from, uh, from holdings that you shouldn't have in a non registered yeah. account. But I mean, REITs are a great allocation for somebody who's looking for monthly cash flow, right? If, yeah. you, if you move into the space where you need to rely on monthly cash flow. Yeah. REITs are a great way to get it. Well, and I think it makes sense to have some assets in real estate, right? That's mm-hmm. having, I, what percentage uh, do you hold of, of REITs? <laughs> <laughs> Too much? Of real estate? <laughs> of REITs. You're heavy into real estate. Well, this is the thing is you have tangible houses, but you also are holding a bunch of Canadian REITs. Yes. We really, yeah. we should, this should just I don't be a want deep to, dive. I don't want to admit what, what my percentage of real estate this is. This is just a deep dive on the accountant. Yeah. <laughs> I would say my assets are probably 90% real estate. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, that's okay. That's your chosen, that's the way you're getting to FI. Is yes. You're replacing your expenses with cash flow with from rent. real estate. So, yeah. hey, you know, we can all do it. There's different ways to do it. Uh, so that's and your chosen I am, way. So. Within the past 
year I have been diligently working to get that reversed. <laughs> I am not putting any more money into real estate at the moment. But like you're not buying any more REITs. Uh, I'm not buying any more REITs and I'm not buying any more rental houses you at per- the moment. You, you perked up when I texted you about inter-rent. I do love a good REIT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I've been purchasing a few REITs to hold in my TFSA because like you right. said, they they pay a good distribution um, steadily. I like having some diversification in Canadian real estate. What's inter-rent? <laughs> Are we going into individual stocks? Well, now? since you mentioned it. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm a sucker for a good article online, and I believe I'm going to have to plug... Let's do the second beer here, because I need to pull this up before I keep talking about it. Okay. And, and I'm out of beer, so... And well, and Let's... I would like to make one thing known, that you can buy a Canadian REIT that holds real estate assets that are not in Canada. Right. Like, yeah, like you can have global... Like Dream, Dream, Dream Global. Dream Global. Yeah. is all in Europe. So you can diversify by owning a Canadian REIT, but gotcha. its assets are held in Europe Makes or Australia or yeah. wherever else in the world it's held. So that's one where it may look like it's a Canadian equity, but actually the source of funds from that equity are international. Right. So something to keep in mind. Absolutely. But let's get a beer. Yeah, I'm, I'm out of beer. All right. Off to the fridge we go. Alrighty. What did you find in my fridge? Well, uh, it's another California beer, uh, Foggy Forest Double IPA from Discretion Brewing. I don't know if I like the name. <laughs> it's not a lot of discretion how, when it comes to IPAs. Yeah. How discreet is their brewing? Yeah. Especially because this is 8%. Where was the discretion? <laughs> I see no discretion. So this was also picked up in Santa Cruz. And uh, the little blurb here goes as follows. While we wait for the rains, Foggy Forest walks reassure us with green misty promise this west coast style double ipa hints of forest pleasures with its dank risinous piney hop aroma and then they go on to say we carefully source our ingredients to support sustainable farming and solar energy lends power to our brewing process that is quite dank <laughs> <laughs> let's check the dank level uh it's about a four on the dank scale well when you're getting up into the eight percent beers i mean that's getting pretty dank mm-hmm. it's uh not Ooh. a weak beer does it put put hair on your chest i don't need any more <laughs> is that bad no no no, no it's, it's actually pretty hey, good. i mean you know it's no way you're drinking that you brought it <laughs> my glass is full <laughs> It doesn't have a ton of nose, though, does it? No, it doesn't have much nose. So, like, maybe it's me. Maybe I'm just not... My olfactory is not working very well today, but... No, it doesn't smell much. No. I don't know. I don't get the hint of forest pleasure with a resinous (laughs) piney (laughs) (laughs) Use your electronic napkin. (laughs) Oh, you got him. (laughs) You sent out the nose. Yeah. <laughs> That's always fun. Eight <laughs> percent through the nose. Great times. That's good to be young again. Oh, you know, it doesn't taste eight percent. It doesn't. No. It does not no, taste eight. That's because we just had seven point seven or something. When it comes out your nose, it does taste eight <laughs> percent. Actually, yeah. Oh, okay, seven point seven followed by an eight. Okay, Ooh, that burns. Before this beer goes in and has its effect, I'll finish <laughs> saying what I was saying before. So yes, it was. Jordan Moss, Mr. Uh, or his um, blah, 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 money master, 
Canadian website. Good articles there. He wrote the article about inter-rent REIT. And uh, so we'll put it in the show notes. You can have a look if you're interested in owning REITs. The reason I chose this specific one, apart from him swaying my right. decision, which he didn't really, but I did some research on it and I didn't own anything that was specifically in the private home rentals. I, I've got office rentals and uh, industrial space, right. but I didn't have any homes. So is it homes rent. or apartments? It's apartment buildings. Nice. Yeah. So I just had a quick look on the site here. I, I'd looked it up before uh, to do my research on it, but they basically hold um, mostly in Eastern Canada, Ontario, and Quebec. Yeah. But, you know, I thought, well, this is good, right? Unfortunately, a lot more people are having to rent these days. And I don't see that market going away anytime soon. Yeah, it does not appear to be shrinking. Yeah, so uh, without going into a huge deep dive and why we buy specific REITs, maybe we'll do that on another no, show. No, I was just curious what, uh, yeah, what yeah, it held. Yeah. We, we could almost have an entire REIT episode. I think we might have to do that. Yeah. It'd be interesting because I th- yeah. think there's a lot out there that people don't quite realize that, you know, when you're walking around a mall or you're walking around downtown. Yeah, you can own that. You can own a piece of those buildings. Yeah. A small yeah. piece. Well, depending on how much you want to invest. But yeah. you can own. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Parts of shopping centers and things like that. So anyway, moving on. We should start wrapping up our allocation show here. We've tried to explore a little bit about what we're holding. Yeah. Why? We, how we screwed it up. Or what we up. want to hold. Yeah. How what we, we, how we, what we want up. to hold. Yeah. <laughs> how we're overweighted extremely yeah. in some areas. And really this comes down to if you're just starting off on your path to FI. Think about this. Think about it. But... It's so easy now to buy Vigro, right? Right, or Vbal, or or, or your your whatever VCN you're, and then your yeah. American and and I think that's a good point. Is there's nothing wrong with just you know what I I like the Vigro allocation and all I'm going to do is buy buy Vigro every right. month, mm-hmm. yeah. all the time. That's going nice. to be my one holding. Nice you know how simple. simple that is for you. It's yeah. fantastic. It's too boring for me. I know. That, I've been the same. That, but I'm yeah. somebody who likes to dabble in Exactly. This. And that's how we got out of trouble in the first place. Right. Right? That's it's generally trouble. how I yeah. get into trouble. So, you know, as, as an underlying theme that we always end up with is it's going to be personal. And if you're interested in learning and reading and figuring out how the stock market works and maybe how to choose which Canadian equity you want to hold in your non-registered right. account, go for it. Yeah. Like, there's a ton of information out there. We're not experts. All our shows are opinion and for entertainment purposes only. That's yeah, right. it's a good important thing to in. slide in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I'm a hybrid investor. We've talked about that before. And mm-hmm. uh, Mark Seed is, is similar. And I think Talkan also is a, is a hybrid style investor yeah. where we're holding some dividend paying Canadian equities for income. Yeah. And we're diversifying globally with low-cost index funds. And the other yeah. thing, you can hold uh, dividend uh, ETFs. Well, that's the right? thing, too. We talked about REITs. In, we talked about dividend ETFs. And you could, yeah, You totally. could hold that in your non-registered account, and you wouldn't. You could still do the mm-hmm. uh, set it and forget it. Yeah. Well, and that's an interesting question, too, is should I be divesting myself of individual equities and just buying a dividend-paying ETF. Right. Well, yeah. uh, the, the thing is, if you look at the top holdings of that dividend ETF... You hold them. You basically... Yeah. If you don't already hold them, you should probably be thinking about yeah. a bank, a telco, a utility, yeah, and a, exactly. well, and that's industrial, right? So. where I do own some high-dividend ETFs for all those big ones, and then I dabble in some lesser-known dividend-paying stocks. So right. you really have no idea, like, your allocation <laughs> in... Like, we haven't even got into sectors... 
Oh, sector allocation? No, I have no oh, bloody I, idea. Uh, we I could bet talk. he's heavy into financials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yep. I think he's yeah, biased being an accountant. Or... Well, could be. All right, well, did we just maybe uh, muddy the waters even more than when we started? I hope we had we said something interesting. We drank some heavy beer. Some very heavy else. beer. Yeah, we're supporting else. our U.S. brewing brethren yeah. tonight. So. I'd like to I would also, somebody else out there, what's what's your target asset allocation? Yeah, that'd be interesting. Do you use Vigo? Do you just keep it really simple? Yeah. yeah. All right. I mean, that's what's going to come down to, is how much work do you want to do? Has anybody else screwed it up as bad as we have? Guaranteed. Yeah. yeah. Guaranteed. Or worse. <laughs> is anybody else in 90% real estate? <laughs> <laughs> you're, so you're 90% real estate and 84% in your Canadian equities. Correct. <laughs> so that's... You set the bar high. That's 1.6% international? At best. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, at least we're having the discussion and we, we realize that there's room for improvement. Yeah. Yes. And maybe that's the takeaway of the show tonight is have a look. It's something you should look at. Maybe yeah. there's room for and improvement. And I've only had my eyes open to it recently, but it's right. definitely, when you start actually reading the literature on it, you should definitely look at your it's allocation. It's another diversification, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. So yeah. it's asset allocation and asset location. Yes. Double header today. Yeah. So yeah. Don't confuse yeah. them because they are slightly different, but right. they're both very important. Both yeah. vitally important. Yeah. Right on. Any other closing comments this week? No. I don't think so. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Hope you uh, learned something, enjoyed the show. And uh, next time you're down in Santa Cruz, check out Foggy Forest Brewing. Oh, no. Sorry. It was Discretion. Dis- discretion. It was Foggy Forest was the drink. It's dank. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which do you like better? Do you like that or do you like the I'm Santa a, Cruz I'm brewing? The Santa Cruz, the Santa Cruz Santa Mountain Cruz Brewing was yeah. definitely the winner, for sure. I'm feeling a lot better than when we started the show, though, so <laughs> clearly <Yeah>. it's working. <laughs> All right, right we'll on. see you next time in the Financial Independence Garage. Good night, folks. Good night. Good night. If we could just train the dog for a well, he generally barks mid-episode. Yeah, yeah. I just got to edit that at the end. Yeah, there you go. <laughs>